This is an RNZ podcast. Um, the state of the New Zealand media, how would you, um, how would you um, describe our current state, if it's like in hospital terms? Are we in critical care? Are we ICU? What is it? That was News Hub's Duncan Garner back in April, and there he was talking to his former news boss at TV3, Mark Jennings, at a time when the COVID-19 lockdown looked like it might choke the life out of some parts of our news media. Yeah, it's ICU for sure. Um, I keep hearing the word existential crisis. I'm not sure what that means exactly in this context, but I think it means huge, real here right now. Well, it was all of those things, but since then, most media have moved out of intensive care and, if not already fully recovered, are at least sitting up and taking light refreshment. But back at the start of the year, when increasing alarm over mysterious infections in China was only just rating as a world news story here, it was another faraway foreign crisis preoccupying our reporters overseas. This will get messy and it really does threaten the very stability of the monarchy itself. Move over Brexit because there's a new crisis in town. It's called Megxit. Lloyd live from London. Thanks very much. Well, back then, Lloyd live in London for News Hub was hyping up the headline-hogging news of a prince and a princess quitting their kingdom to live happily ever after. Yeah, they certainly are, Tom. This, as they say, is the rift that keeps on giving. And instead of singing the national anthem, Brits over here are instead singing a new tune that goes... Oh, Canada. Well, they weren't, of course, but the royal relocation did create endless negative headlines about the pair and even warnings of war. The War of the Windsors. And a new War of the Windsors. And Windsor warfare was also declared by another New Zealand journalist in London, Dan Wooten, who broke the story for Rupert Murdoch's notorious top-selling UK tabloid The Sun. And he just happened to be back in Wellington at that time and only too happy to tell local media all about it. And I'm told they are incandescent with rage. So there is absolutely a civil war over this decision, and there has been for some time, to be honest. Well, the royals were, of course, not actually angry enough to glow in the dark, and there was no new English civil war. Just another session of the Royal Variety Media Circus, which Dan Wooten said was nothing to do with him. Hasn't the newspaper industry, and in particular the tabloids, of which you are an executive editor of the biggest selling one, Aren't you to blame for it all going wrong? I think that is patently ridiculous. And what really seems ridiculous now in 2020, the year of COVID-19, is that anyone cared very much about that at the time, either here or in the not-so-united kingdom. Now, at that time back in February, the media here were generating their own dramas with the help of some politicians. Cabinet ministers have approved the first step towards creating a new public broadcasting super entity involving RNZ and TVNZ, but the plan looks quite different to what they considered at the end of last year. It was morning report in February with news of the biggest media shake-up in public broadcasting for decades. And at the time, even seasoned media pundits were confused. I don't know how they're going to talk this one through. Peter, do you know? I, I don't. Uh, we, we haven't been told the details and I don't know if there's a, a clear blueprint and that's really I think it's high time that, that the government made some of this, uh, this thinking available so there can be a proper debate about it. And ten months later there's still no clear blueprint or business case or debate on a new public media entity to replace RNZ and TVNZ, though the government still says it wants one. Now back then, last February, it was actually another story about RNZ that was causing more ructions. In the new year, RNZ had placed a job ad for someone to lead a new youth music brand. 
And that was news to commercial radio broadcasters who have brands that make big money playing music to the youth. And it was news to National Party Deputy Leader Paula Bennett too. I'm not quite sure I think RNZ having a, a youth station is going to be the most popular out there that, that, that everyone's going to sort of start tuning into. Now, as it happened, RNZ's plan wasn't just all about music and a serious go at getting a new audience that's not exactly super served by RNZ currently. What's not to like? But loyal fans of the current RNZ music brand, Concert, didn't like the opportunity cost of this new opportunity. The plan involved taking away the Rolls-Royce national FM transmission of RNZ Concert and ditching the human hosts for mostly pre-recorded playlists on the lo-fi AM band. The RNZ board gave that a green light. The minister had been briefed on it, and the Ministry for Culture and Heritage knew all about it as well. Yet all seemed stung by the political backlash and complaints of cultural vandalism the decision unleashed, culminating in this response from the very top. My focus is making sure that Concert FM stays on the FM frequency, but at the same time that we support RNZ uh, to fulfil their obligations to reach as many New Zealanders as they can. The Prime Minister went on to point to what seemed to be a solution, a frequency for youth radio set aside 20 years ago for a station that was never created. And that led to awkward questions at RNZ's annual review in Parliament. Did you explicitly ask for a frequency for the youth radio? We, what I did is I talked I've about... I've heard that. I've yeah. asked a very direct question. Did you explicitly ask for a frequency? No, but okay, what I did thank you. I, That's what I needed to yeah. know. RNZ's top brass said they'd been told that getting that frequency would be too difficult, though the boss of the Ministry for Culture and Heritage couldn't confirm who'd said that, why or when. And RNZ ended up saying there'd been miscommunication with the minister, and the chair, Jim Mather, told Parliament Select Committee this. Like uh, one of the most frustrating things that we've heard over the last week is that New Zealand does not need another youth music station. We didn't clarify well enough exactly what we intended to do so RNZ then gets the 2020 Bittersweet Symphony Award for Nice Idea, but shame about the execution, with honourable mention to TVNZ's boss Kevin Kenrick, who told the same committee at Parliament this about the new public media entity plan. To me it's a bit like the rebuild of Christchurch. You know, you, how often do you get an opportunity to kind of design from scratch? Now we think we know what he meant there, though some in public broadcasting didn't think that it was as broke as post-quake Christchurch where 185 people died. One media boss who made a firmer statement in March was Michael Boggs, chief executive of NZME, the publisher of the New Zealand Herald and owner of the talk radio station News Talk ZB. When the COVID crisis struck, he dashed off a stirring open letter to the New Zealand public, which was published in all his papers and its online outlets. It's vital New Zealanders have access to information they can trust and have confidence in. Our commitment to all New Zealanders is that we'll maintain the highest journalistic standards as we stay focused on giving Kiwis the news and information they need when they need it. Reassuring stuff, but as the crisis deepened, it seemed the staff of his main radio station had missed the memo. I mean, Michelle, do you think it's like the Black Death is on its way? Because the media coverage to me has been pretty full on. But if COVID-19 didn't seem like a huge deal in early March, it soon did on News Talk ZB. Breaking news. So we have the result of the first testing of a suspected coronavirus case in New Zealand, and it is negative, as in they... And not long after that, the first positive result came, and the next day, the Weekend Herald's front page screamed pandemonium, with a terrifying full-page picture of a person in a hazmat suit disinfecting a train in Turkey. Now, the panic the paper referred to was actually in the aisles. 
Alexia Russell had gone to Pack and Save Wido Park to get food for her son's 21st and feels like she's in a zombie apocalypse. I've never seen anything like it. It's completely nuts. And those shopping zombies were promptly then told off by Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB, who also seemed to have a dig at the Herald. If you panic shopped, get a grip on yourself, grow up and be more informed. Panic shopping when we have one bloke getting better in an isolated room in a hospital is as embarrassing as a headline designed to get clicks. But meanwhile, it still seemed like a bit of a joke to some of his fellow ZB hosts. Good morning. <laughs> Aren't I lucky? <laughs> did you just sneeze? No. Oh. I thought you sneezed or coughed, and I was about to say, did you sneeze and cough into your elbow to prevent the spread of any coronavirus? No, I didn't do either. Very good. Do you like Elton John? Yes, I do. And the cognitive dissonance kept on coming on NZME's Leighton Smith podcast, offering up not only fake news, but fake place names. There was a um, laboratory set up in Wahoon uh, for the distinct purpose of um, examining SARS and other possible viruses. At the time and since, there has been the odd uh, suggestion that escape of virus could take place. And there's more than one person who's suggesting that uh, we should not discount that. But perhaps it is to Leighton Smith's credit that he told his listeners up front he was doing precisely what his boss at NZME had pledged to the public, that they wouldn't. Now, I've got no idea. All I'm doing is passing on, reporting uh, and talking about things in their possibilities. Now, there's danger in that. I recognise it. But again, we should be aware of such things. Am I trying to panic you? No. I'm just trying to be honest. Well, honest, yes, but only in the sense that he was admitting that what he was saying was pretty much untrue, even as he was saying it, during a public health emergency. And even as Leighton Smith raged against the Orwellian overreach crushing our freedoms in lockdown, he was terrifying his listeners with worst-case scenarios. Taking the most dramatic suggestion that it could, could, kill as many as 65 million people. Believe what you choose. But quietly ponder this question. Would you go to China anytime soon? Well, certainly not to Wahoon, not with that dodgy lab that he said some unnamed guy had just warned him about. Though I might have flown to China if I'd been taking my travel advice from News Talk ZB in mid-March. And if you had a trip to Shanghai booked, what would you do? Yeah, look, look, it's fluid. When I wrote you those notes earlier in the week, I was like, yeah, look, I'd go, I'd go. But I don't know, Andrew, honestly, what would you do? I don't know, just take lots of vitamin C. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, that should do the trick. People offering advice in the media like that who didn't know what they were talking about made plenty of work for the people who did. Microbiologist Susie Wiles called it bollocks. Don't quite understand what on earth they're getting at. <laughs> but some News Talk ZB hosts were bullish about international travel right up until our borders closed, and they even used it to promote their talk programmes. News Talk ZB, the names, the news and you. Coronavirus does not concern me any more than any other flu does. You know, if you catch the flu, any type of strain, it can be nasty. I would happily travel to London tomorrow and be prepared to take my chances. Meanwhile, sports events were shutting down around the country, exasperating ZB's chief sportscaster, Martin Devlin. <laughs> Maybe I'm just an idiot, but I don't understand. What, if, what are we all afraid of? That one person in a crowd has it and therefore they may infect somebody else. Well, yes, that's exactly what the public safety authorities were afraid of during the pandemic. Though in mid-March, Martin Devlin didn't believe there was one. I do understand it, but you've got to listen. It's a pandemic now. You've got to listen to those people. I don't believe it's a pandemic. A pandemic killed almost 100 million people at the end of the First World War. That's a pandemic. 
And as COVID arrived on our shores, ZB's political editor Barry Soper was pushing for us to take a lead from the UK. I think we shouldn't be too paranoid about this. Uh, We should do maybe what Britain is uh, doing, is uh, expecting the inevitable that people will get it, a bit like the flu, Mm. and uh, then cope with it that way, build up some immunity in the community. But while that approach didn't go well in the UK, Mike Hosking turned his attention to Iceland. They just grabbed 10%. And what they found is half the population at any given time has the virus but doesn't know it. 50%. In which case he reckoned physical distancing and isolation would be a bit of a waste of time. But Mike Hosking was out there by a factor of about 200. The Herald that day had reported that half of the roughly 10% of Icelanders who tested positive for COVID were asymptomatic, but less than 0.5% of them did test positive. So a handful of Icelanders then, not half of them, were unwitting COVID carriers. But it wasn't just NZME's resident reckons merchants who were getting the basics horribly wrong. This is COVID-19. Presumably there's been 18 other coronaviruses on the way to get to 19. That was Michelle Bogue on RNZ's The Panel, and she wasn't the only one who reckoned we must have conquered 18 other COVIDs. Lawyer May Chen said so on the same programme soon after, prompting RNZ to put in place a policy that only experts would address the topic of COVID-19 from then on. But acknowledged non-experts with advice on fighting the virus seem to have no trouble getting airtime elsewhere. Given that you're not an expert in public health, why would your opinion and your voice on this matter? That's a fair question. I'm certainly not. I got eight out of a hundred <laughs> new e-biology, so I'd be the last one to talk to about microbiology. I'm, I'm a businessman. I think I understand maths. Sky TV founder Craig Heatley getting his views aired on News Talk ZB, while TVNZ sought out the views of Carmen Visilich, a technology and data innovator, in spite of this. Um, well, I certainly aren't an expert on, in this, but um, just like with any virus or any flu, um, actually being exposed to other people en masse is definitely going to increase the risks. Certainly sounds legit. And after a fair bit of this around the media, ZB's hosts started seeing the problem here, such as Tim Beveridge. But when it comes to a, a public health issue, I don't really give a toss what entrepreneurs think. I don't. I don't. Not sure what extra qualifications they have to be ad- advising on these things. Um, apart from in their chosen field, they have become successful as business people. And ZB's afternoon host Phil Gifford recognised the problem extended to his side of the microphone too. And in particular, don't rely for health advice on two guys that just happen to be sitting in a radio studio. <laughs> that would be good. Sound advice there from Phil Gifford, and he might just have had two of his ZB colleagues in mind as Hayden Donnell now reports. Mike Hosking started off March thinking COVID-19 was no big deal. It is not a killer virus, as I read a number of times. It's a virus that can kill. The same way a Toyota Corolla isn't a killer car. You need mitigating circumstances. In this case, age and infirmity seem to be the common thread. The vast, vast majority of cases are mild, not serious. The vast, vast majority of cases have always been in one province of one country, and that country has this week produced dramatically diminishing numbers of cases. When Hosking said that, the virus had killed about 3,500 people around the world, but he was keen to point out nearly all of those deaths had occurred in the Wuhan province of China. In his eyes, the virus is also comparatively non-lethal to the economy. Unlike Christchurch, for example, we don't know how much of an emergency this is. The government then borrowed big because it could see what it needed and what it was buying. What's the formula this time? 
My sense right here, right now, is for most, it is way too early. These are tough, uncertain days, no question about that, but they're still early days. And holding your nerve is a skill, hopefully not missing in this government. By the end of March, Mike Hosking was rebuffing the government for listening to people like early March Mike Hosking. It had been too slow, he said, to intervene in the economy. This is a confidence play. The virus is a health emergency, yes, but the bigger problem is the economic fallout from a disproportionate reaction. The world has decided basically to freak out and we are all going to pay the price for at least half a year, if not the whole year. Yes, it will all work out fine in the end, it always does, but how we handle this now affects tremendously what sort of shape we're in when we bounce out the other side. And without making this too political, what has dogged this government is indecision. They are talkers and meters and procrastinators. This is not a time for any of Perhaps the government had been reading too many Mike's minutes. Late March, Mike Hosking was also frustrated the government wasn't treating COVID-19 with the seriousness it deserved. He said it needed to disregard people like the popular talk host Mike Hosking, recognise the virus as a serious threat and shut the country down. G'day, this week is about getting this country shut down. The government are too slow, no one seems to be listening. The numbers are only going one way. Look at the charts, talk to the epidemiologist. G'day, this week is about getting this country shut down. The government are too slow, no one seems to be listening. The numbers are only going one way. Look at the charts, talk to the epidemiologists. You add cases by ones and handfuls, then you add them by tens, then you add them by hundreds. We are tens. Look at the charts of all of the countries in trouble. They all tell the same story. Michael Baker, the epidemiologist, is right. We need to be shutting doors. Why aren't they listening to the doctors? The government took that advice and moved the country into Level 4 lockdown on March 25. Soon after, Mike Hosking asked why the government had bought into the hype from people like Mike Hosking and taken such a drastic step. Every year, heart disease claims 6,000 lives, one every 90 minutes. We're not crashing the economy for that. Overall, we had over 33,000 deaths a year. By the way, those deaths that year were the highest rate in 25 years. You won't remember the alarm because there wasn't any. This entire debate is driven by politics, alarm, and with a reasonable amount of genuine concern for our safe, safety and health. But the latter is starting to get mixed up with the former, as increasingly a large number of people ask whether the reaction warrants the concern. Perhaps Mike Hosking deserves some credit for representing all viewpoints on his show. It's just unusual they're all coming from the same mind. But even his cognitive elasticity had nothing on his studio mate Heather Duplessy Allen. It took Hosking two or three weeks to diametrically overhaul his views. In April, Duplessy Allen managed the feat in just two working days. This is her on Friday, April 3. The health minister doesn't deserve to be fired, but he should be fired. The prime minister should fire him. If she wants the rest of us to take these rules seriously for the next three weeks, she's going to have to set an example here. Because right now, what she's telling the public is, hey, we made a bunch of rules, but if you break them, nothing much is going to happen. And here she is again on Tuesday, April 7. Firing David Clark probably would have done her more harm than good. What was there to gain? She's already made an example of him to other potential rule breakers. She stripped him of a portfolio, dumped him to the bottom of the cabinet rankings, humiliated him by saying that he would normally be sacked if it wasn't a health crisis. And she doesn't need to try to look strong at the moment, does she, by sacking a minister? I mean, everything she's doing at the moment, with every twist of this pandemic response, makes her look strong. Actually, firing him was probably going to do more harm than good. We are in the middle of the biggest health crisis in 102 years. There's an optimistic way to look at this. This has been a year of news company closures and elevated fears that media diversity is being eroded.
Over at News Talk ZB, Mike Hosking and Heather Duplessy Allen responded to that by maintaining plurality of opinion all on their own. Hayden Donnell reporting there. Well, as we heard earlier, News Talk ZB's afternoon host Phil Gifford showed some self-awareness when he urged people not to put too much weight on his opinions during the pandemic. And this year, he and his co-host Simon Barnett also proved that it is possible to do talkback without hastily concocted bad faith arguments designed to provoke blowback or engagement, as it's called these days by marketers. Here's a taste. Taking into account there was an awful lot of hate, and I use that word intentionally, there was a lot of hate uh, coming through for Simon Bridges on text and phone calls. I've listened to this station for the last couple of days, and fascinating to know, and look at this text machine, as if that's the indicator, that most people wanted to stay on in some form yeah. in Parliament. However, it was Simon Bridges' deputy in the National Party back then who turned out to be the real talkback innovator of 2020. I'm getting ranty, I'm getting ranty, and I promised myself that I wouldn't on my day one. Paula Bennett there on Magic Talk in September, breaking new ground as an MP, doing nationwide talkback as a host at the sharp end of an election campaign. A first for New Zealand where broadcasters used to try to be scrupulously fair. But Paula's callers could be counted on to keep it classy. It's killing people who are elderly. I mean, I'm elderly, I should be shitting myself every time I go out on my electric bike. Right, but uh, honestly... Well, don't, because it'll just make the seat messy. Pardon? Nothing, nothing. Then we'll move on. Well, Paula Bennett did move on from politics after the election and from that week-long stint on air. Another National Party figure to make his mark in talkback this year was Roger Bridge, who made a career-ending call to News Talk ZB's Marcus Lush back in August under the name of Merv. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's confusing... Yeah, well, I don't know whether you should be voting, but if, if you're struggling with this... Uh, you know, it's so hard to keep up with. I'm going to let you go, Merv. Flip. And Roger Bridge did eventually get flipped by his National Party Canterbury branch. He was accused of interfering in the National Party candidate selection for Auckland Central. But he wasn't the only political player using talk radio to push for a particular party candidate. You're a Muller man. How do we know you're not talking him up so that... He accrues more support today at the crucial vote. Uh, well, I've looked at how I view this. I have been friends with Todd Muller uh, for 30 years. So I, you are talking him well. up? You can put it that way. I've known Simon Bridges and Nicky Kay for 15 years. Former National Party player and heavily used media pundit Matthew Hooten on Morning Report in May, endorsing Todd Muller to lead the party in a leadership vote that day. But not letting on that he'd actually been recruited by Team Todd already but more than a friend then. So he's no longer a pundit on RNZ National and no longer serving the National Party leader who succeeded Todd Muller, Judith Collins. Now, she became the leader after a marathon five-hour live News Hub special in which political editor Tova O'Brien filled so much airtime she had to use all the vocabulary she could lay her hands on. Knowing Judith Collins and Jerry Brownlee uh, as we do, I don't imagine they're going to piss around. I think they'll be down here to announce themselves pretty quickly. No time for pissing around with an election due in September. According to Tova... This is going to be one of the most riveting election campaigns. Hold on to your seats. But by the time the election actually happened in October, thanks to COVID in Auckland, we were squirming in our seats and probably would have preferred doing some riveting instead of following an extended election campaign. 
In the end, the pundits reckon the government's COVID campaign made the election campaign a foregone conclusion, with Nationals' campaign merely making the landslide even faster under their feet. And last week's launch of a new government campaign of anti-COVID caution at the cricket had News Talk ZB's Tim Dower in a flap. Hipkins and his crowd have had us believe that we've cracked COVID by the huge sacrifices we've made and especially keeping the border closed. Now, he's essentially threatening another lockdown if there are new cases in the community. We're not really being threatened with another lockdown, but Tim really didn't like the slogan, Unstoppable Summer. Errors, breaches, cock-ups. That's what will make our summer stoppable. And maybe Unstoppable Summer isn't the most memorable marketing slogan of 2020. But here at Media Watch, we hadn't heard a better one than one that was used recently to get school kids interested in a soil science project down south. And it didn't come from any fancy central Auckland ad agency. And what's happening here in this lovely little hall? So today we've got the community day for the Soil Your Undies Otago project. Cosmo Kentish Barnes earlier this month on RNZ's Country Life reporting from Maheno, south of Wamaru. The title kind of lures people in. Otherwise, if you had soil health, you wouldn't really perhaps catch people the same way. But soil your undies is hilarious. Like today is your show your undies day, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Beside us, Mahino school teacher Stella McRae is carefully placing a pair of soiled undies on a display table. So on the back, you can see that there has been some, see that there's some roots and things that have started to make their way through the undies, Ooh, which meant yes. that the plant life was already starting to find its way through those. The Soil Your Undies Challenge, a clear winner then for the marketing slogan of 2020, Year of COVID, and that will take some beating in 2021. Mind you, there is an opportunity for another award-winning earthy one next year, according to the organiser of the Soil Your Undies Challenge, Robin Zink. So we'll be setting up some terrariums, and each school will get a terrarium so they can see what the dung beetles do. The students will be having to add a bit of fresh dung on a regular basis, and through the terrarium they'll be able to see the beetles burying that dung and, and making balls as they do with the dung down underground. Fantastic. Well, good luck with that, and I look forward to hearing how that goes next year. Yeah, we'll be in touch. Looking forward to that in 2021. Well, that's all from the Media Watch team for 2020, a strange, stressful and at times pretty horrible year for many in the media, especially those who lost jobs from April onwards as companies cut their costs to survive. But remarkable work that truly served the public interest was done by many journalists at many outlets and some who put difficult questions to those in power suffered for it in the form of a public backlash, partly because media made the news-gathering process more public than ever by broadcasting events like those daily COVID briefings and press conferences because that was in the public interest too. Well, thanks for listening in 2020. Media Watch will be back in late January 2021.